The following podcast is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. How is everyone doing tonight? Welcome to episode 33 of Mr. Let's do that again. (laughs) What's up, PTB Nation? How is everyone doing tonight? Welcome to episode 33 of Parking the Bus. It has been a long day. Let me tell you, I've done nothing today but watch football and cover football and fight with people on Twitter. Um, If you don't know, uh, my club, my direct club, Benfica played in the Clásico today against our most hated rival, FC Porto. Okay, I absolutely despise that team with every fiber of my being, and I spent hours on it. I uh, ran in a live pregame show today, and um, I've been fighting on Twitter with some of my own fans. Um, it was a heartbreaking match. But what we're here tonight in episode 33 of Parking the Bus is to talk about... We're going to start in the Champions League. It's a European Roundup episode, and we're going to start in the Champions League. All right, we got a lot to cover and not a lot of time, but we're going to do that right now, okay? Special hello to everybody watching on YouTube right now, okay? And make sure when you're watching on YouTube to just go right down there and to select the, the subscribe button. It's actually on this side right down there. Um, hit subscribe and alert yourself so that you're alerted anytime I go live because I'm going to be doing these things live from now on. That is um, that is the first announcement, okay? I'm excited because I used this uh, this platform earlier today in my pregame show. It was a dry run. It was a first run, actually, um, streaming live, and it, it goes directly to YouTube into some other formats. This episode's going exclusively to the PTB Media Network's YouTube page. And if you're watching right now, um, a big hello to everybody. And um, feel free to post a comment. I've turned the comments on. And I can actually see it all in one screen here. So I like that. This is way better than Zoom. And you can see there, you see my name and my Twitter handle. And at the bottom, uh, you'll see the results from this week's Champions League and Europa League. Okay. And um, yeah, it's four matches to talk about. Uh, let's let's get started. I suppose after that we'll go into the European leagues and take a quick trip around Europe and see what exactly is going on. But let's start in the Champions League. All right, we're going to start Manchester City versus PSG. It is a semi-final, leg number two. We're at the Etihad in Manchester, and the 
the smoke is still in the air from the whole Super League blow up. Okay, uh, a lot of people supporting PSG in this match in uh, last week as well, due to to City's involvement in the Champions League. I'm getting that from everywhere. I'm getting people saying that they're uh, they're supporting. PSG and they're supporting Villarreal because those two clubs are outside of that Super League bubble and uh, those are the big villains in football right now. So City come in with a 2-1 lead after leg number one in both of those goals from City obviously coming on the road in Paris and let's take a look here and let's look at the lineups. We'll start with the lineups and we'll start with City who are in the lead. Goalkeeper of course Edison is is uh, the Brazil international and I will say former Benfica goalie, uh, no no doubt about that. To believe that my club had him and Jan Oblak on the team at the same exact time is just absolutely mind-boggling right now. Um, but that's just an amazing little uh, little trivia note. But across the back, 4-3-3 for Pep Guardiola. Uh, Kyle Walker is the right back. John Stones partners with Ruben Diaz in the center of defense. Well, Alexander Zinchenko is the left back in midfield. Fernandinho wearing the captain's armband, and he is the anchor. Bernardo Silva to his right, and Ilke Gundogan to his left. And then an, uh, an absolutely three-headed monster in attack. Kevin De Bruyne, Phil Foden, and Riyad Mahrez. This is a very, very... Good Manchester City team, and they have. I've been high on them this season, and we'll get into it later. But um, I have traditionally and historically supported a different Manchester club, pretty much my whole my whole life from when I knew what a football was, going back to I can tell you the year it was nineteen ninety three when the Premier League arrived, at least in the United States, on Prime Sports Network. And in those days, you got about half an hour of one match and then a half an hour that covered all the rest of the league. And I didn't know at the time that the matches were two weeks old when they aired in the United States. It didn't matter. Um, but in those days, you got a half hour of Manchester United and then you got everybody else. Um, and thus, my biases began from there. And then Manchester United's kit resemblance to a certain club I'm, I'm obviously very fond of. That That is the other thing. But we're talking City right now. And we're we're talking uh, Pep Guardiola. What an evolution. What an evolution of a manager. I mean, he has absolutely grown tenfold since arriving in Manchester City. I have to give the man all the credit in the world, okay? It's one thing to win playing Tiki Taka at Barcelona with all academy players, with not all, but, you know, a huge chunk of academy players that have been playing that way since they were six years old. And it's one thing to win when you got Lionel Messi, you got Xavi and Iniesta. I mean, those two guys for me are are heroes. Those are two of my favorites of all time. Xavi and Iniesta, both in Barcelona and in the Spanish national team of those days, that was like my footballing influence. Like I watched that and I fell in love with, with the romanticism of football. And at that time, I was so into Tiki Taka because you had the guys to do it. Guess what? Fast forward 12 10, what are we, eight years later, Xavi and Iniesta are not playing anymore, okay? The game has changed a bit. Teams now know how to play against Tiki Taka, and teams have evolved. Defending has evolved. You just don't have the players to play that way all the time and be dominated. It's become easier to defend because the quality of the players trying to play that game and trying to copycat what Pep Guardiola did 
okay? And Pep Guardiola takes a lot of his influence from another one of my huge heroes and one of my icons, if you will. If you have heroes are here and then icons are here, Johan Cruyff is here for me. He is one of my all-time icons. And he taught Guardiola what he knows, along with, you know, Bobby Robson, uh, who managed him as well. And, uh, you know, Guardiola's evolution from that tiki-taka of Barcelona to Bayern Munich to having to do it a little bit different, getting used to a couple of different nuances and different cultural aspects of football outside of Spain and then arriving in Manchester City. And it didn't happen right away. I remember the calls to remove him in years one and two. I remember. In fact, earlier this year, we started to wonder if, if Pep's time had come, if his ship had sailed. But man, has he put it together this year? What what football Manchester City are playing? It is it is just if you are a neutral or if you are if you are a, a young footballer, a young player out there, and you want to fall in love with this sport and you don't have a team to attach to. This pains me to say it because I come from roots of being a United fan. But if you want to fall in love with football, you watch Manchester City. And they just, I mean, I had no doubt in my mind that City was going to take care of business here. I didn't think uh, PSG had the character to stand with them, to to go toe-to-toe with them. Not the way they're playing this year. And again, it's not the tiki-taka of 2010 or 2012. It's an evolved football. It's director. It's more direct. Excuse me. It's at a higher tempo, more pace, great players with great individual skills, but it's more cutthroat. And I like that. I like that. It's not such a, it's, if you look at it, there's different waves in the ocean. It's like Tiki Taka is, you know, the calm waters of, uh, of a Harbor, perhaps. Pep, Pep, Pep is getting some big waves now. He, he's ready to go surfing. I mean, Pep's football is, is is getting to be some breakers, and I like it. They cut. They come down with force. And, man, if they wore different kits, I would be all over them. If they had different colors and wore a different badge, I'd be, I'd be to the moon with this squad. Fantastic 11. Hey, on the other side, the Parisian side, managed by Mauricio Pochettino. He's got the Costa Rican legend, Kaylor Navas, in goal. Alessandro Florenzi, Marquinhos, Presno Kimpembe, and Abdu Diallo are the four in the back. They're playing 4-2-3-1. Uh, trying to deal with that city attack with two holding midfield with a double pivot in midfield. Ander Herrera and uh, Leonardo Paredes are the two. Um, are the two that have that assignment in front of them, a attacking midfield trio, Neymar, Marco Verratti, and Angel Di Maria. And can I tell you, this is the last time I mentioned just how much ex-Benfica is on the pitch in this match. I'm going to list the names right now. Ederson, Ruben Diaz, Bernardo Silva, and Angel Di Maria. That is quite, uh, an, that is quite a plethora of, of talent. If you want to include Danilo Pereira, who came in in the second half, yes, he came to PSG from Porto. But before he was at Porto, way, way back, he played his youth football. Benfica. And that's the last I'll say about that. All right. And the striker is none other than Mauro Icardi. Now, um, first of all, the weather was insane in this match. There was snow, ice, hail. I don't know what was on the surface. 
The surface was white. The pitch was white at the start. You could see that they blew off the line so you could see them. They didn't bring out the orange ball. They didn't bust that out. But the pitch was was slick. You could see there was slush. There was definitely slush on that pitch. And it's May. What's going on in England? What is going on with the weather? Both of these matches this week, uh, both of these Champions League semifinals. What is going on? It's May. My goodness, I complain about the weather here in Boston, but you know what? It ain't that bad. Maybe, maybe I stop. It's not Florida, but hey, hey they, we're not. We don't have slush. We don't have slush on the ground in May. But you know what? City just dealt with it. That was. I mean, PSG looked uninterested, to be honest, and you know, it didn't take long. Riyad Mahrez goes ahead in the eleventh minute. Okay, beautiful, smooth football, just moving up and down. You know, real good, real, real good, um, real, real good ball movement. And Mares walks in. He beats Navas. It's 1-0 to City, which makes it 3-1 on aggregate at the moment. And at that point, PSG's head's dropped. And I don't know why. Because they needed two goals regardless. I'm not sure what, what they came into this match expecting. Maybe they thought they'd win because a 1-0 victory wasn't going to do it for them. They needed two goals because they gave up two at, at home. So I don't know what they were expecting, but they, they, they dropped their heads. I mean, has anyone seen Neymar? Just wondering. I mean, he drew a few fouls. He had one opportunity I can think of, and I think it was in the first half, might have been in the second, where he got the ball in the box, brought it down nicely on a beautiful touch. Used a nice big touch to run past one of the defenders. Create the half the half inch of space he needed to get the shot. But then that window closed down because there was a man by the name of Ruben Diaz there. Ruben Diaz, who just closed that window before Neymar could pull the trigger. So he ends up dribbling more and then he lost his angle. And, um, you know, Kylian Mbappe on the bench for this one. He was nursing an injury, taking a knock. He was still on his way back. And uh, did not want to be risked because we'll get to this before the end of the episode. But um, we'll get we'll get to this before. The, sorry, I just got a message from another podcaster there. Um, we we we'll get to this before the end of the episode. But PSG, despite their billions <laughs> that they they are able to invest into their team, they have an entire country's economy supporting their team. Um, despite all that. They're trailing Lille in in the French Ligue 1, and um, there's three matches left. So it's exciting in, in France right now, and they're under pressure. And I think Pochettino, at the end of the day, once they went down and it looked unlikely that they were going to advance, uh, Kylian Mbappé was was spared to try to go to make sure they go in the win the league. They they cannot not win the league. If you're Mauricio Pochettino right now, I mean, what are you thinking? You took over this job, okay? When did you think? Oh, in in December, I think, uh, when when Thomas Tuchel was was uh, sacked. And remember that name, Thomas Tuchel. We'll talk about that name in in a few minutes. Um, yeah, remember he was sacked, and and Pochettino came in and took over, and um, was expected to deliver this trophy. But certainly the French league. That's that's a bare minimum. That's like a prerequisite just to to call yourself an employee of. Paris Saint-Germain, but, you know, they're in quite a bind right now. They are in quite a bind, and I didn't like the attitude from PSG in this one. They quickly started to lose their minds. They really, their composure went out the window. Um, we'll go through some of the ticker here. Uh, 
uh, down a goal already and players starting to make absolutely boneheaded decisions. And let's see here when it happened. It wasn't until the second half. But in the rest of the first half, um, you had pretty much unrivaled control from City. And such confidence, such composure for a team that has not been to the Champions League final. You'd think they, they go every year the way they just held on to to the ball and the way they controlled the, the rhythm of the game. They didn't just possess to possess. They were literally in control of the match. They had PSG reacting all over the place. And um, they go into the first half, you know, they go into the halftime uh one nil up after a after Navas keeps it one nil here in the forty fifth plus um forty fifth plus two it it was a break and Fernandinho touches it out to Mares. Mares cuts into the box without being closed down and he decides to go for goal himself but his low shot was blocked by Navas at the near post and it says here that PSG are putting the pressure on at the end of the half but I really don't remember it that way. I mean, I think they might have had a few rushes here and there, and I think they might have possessed. The, I think PSG might have. I mean, I think City might have seeded a little bit of possession, but I never once thought this result was in doubt. Um, I remember when I was doing the preview for BTV, and I was telling people, you know, you might, might take, might want to take um, a little extra. Put a little extra cash aside and throw it on extra time because they were given. I mean, they were given money away if you wanted to to gamble it on extra time. I mean, there was. <laughs> uh, I mean, it had this match gone to extra time, you'd have made a killing. And a two-one result wasn't that far out of the possibility. Not it wasn't far-fetched by any means to get the odds they were giving on a on a extra time. But we go into halftime one nil. Come out in the second half. And it says right here that it was a great performance by City in the first half. Solid defensively and looked dangerous when breaking on the counter. That's what I mean by controlling the game. That's what I mean by the evolution of Pep Guardiola. He does not need to possess the ball for 80% of the match to be in complete control of the match. You just control what the other team does with it when they have the ball. You are in control when you do that. And you know what? At the same time, your players are conserving energy when they're moving side to side a couple yards versus trying to run all over the place and trying to get open and trying to keep the ball and just take people on. No, you know, you can see possession for, for chunks of the game and you can you can conserve energy and wait for moments on the break. And that is what I mean when he went for, you know, his football went from being this harbor, you know, nice and soft to being. Uh, you can see the hand signals I'm making if you're watching the video. On the podcast, I'm I'm doing the motion of, of bigger waves, breakers, breaking on the beach versus the calm waters of the of the bay, right? So um, going into the second half, this is a big 45 minutes for PSG. They have to come around. Uh, they need to score twice. Uh, they're yet to get a shot on target at halftime. How are you going to come back? From, first of all, down, you know, two away goals. You need two goals, regardless of the fact that City scored. Even if they hadn't have scored, PSG needs two goals. So, mentally, it should not have changed anything when, and in terms of tactically and in terms of 
planning and, and mentality and, you know, just motivation-wise, that city goal shouldn't have changed anything. They can't get any shots on goal. You can't you can't score if you don't shoot. You know, so in the 48th minute, it points out that PSG have a lot of possession in the opening couple of minutes, but struggling to get into City's half. Again, controlling the opponent and not worrying about possessing the ball because you know what? You're winning. You're winning. You're using less energy when you defend. I firmly believe that. When you're tactically sound, positionally sound, you can conserve energy defending, especially if the other team's possession is in their own end, in their own half. You're not defending crosses. You're not battling for 50-50s in the air. Your players are literally shifting right, shifting left, five yards each way. Okay, that's a lot less challenging and demanding physically than what PSG are trying to do trying to find spaces, trying to find openings, trying to drill balls into those gaps. In uh, in the 53rd, we get a great save as so much space ahead of City. Again, breaking on the counter. It allows you to break on the counter. It's such a easy way to play once you get ahead. This is why it's hard to beat good teams when they get ahead because they know how to do this. And it says here that De Bruyne picks out Foden down the left with a great pass. One-on-one -on -one with the keeper. But Navas comes out. He played big at times. And he smothers another shot. But the referee's, uh, sorry, the referee assistance flag would go up for offside. But, and Navas would make another save in the 54th. And, and Foden was picked out on the edge of the box. Drills a powerful shot on goal. And Navas gets a strong hand out. To deny him, but it, when we fast forward to this, well, we'll get a substitution first. 62nd minute, and uh, Mauricio Pochettino goes to the bench. He brings on Moise Khan, and Moise replaces Mauro Icardi. And then at the same time, we get Ulian Draxler to replace Ander Herrera, okay? And before they could get a sniff of the, of the football, before they've even smelt the grass on the on the pitch, Marez does it again. Another brilliant counterattack. I mean, you leave yourself so open when you start chasing the match. This is this is textbook, just a big team in the lead type of play. And it's Marez as it's a brilliant counterattack. As it says, catching PSG out. Foden drills a dangerous ball across the six-yard box. None of the defenders can spot Marez's run to the far post. He lifts the shot over the goalkeeper into the back of the net. 2-0. And a nice assist for the young Englishman, Phil Foden. As the game starts to get sloppy from there, the hinges come undone because now, now PSG need three. Okay. And their job would get a lot harder. Unfortunately, in the 69th minute, on an absolutely boneheaded play by Angel Di Maria, off the pitch, no less, sticks his leg out and, and kind of... I guess the kick equivalent of a jab. So if you're punching, a jab is when you just kind of throw, not necessarily to, to you know, knock somebody out, but it, it's it's just a, a little reminder that you're there. He does that with his foot, essentially. Takes down Fernandinho. Fernandinho makes a meal of it, no question about it. But you can't do that, Di Maria. He knows that. He's an experienced player. And unfortunately, the commentator on CBS here in the United States made a ethnically insensitive comment about Di Maria's temperament, which is going to get him in trouble. 
And um, obviously, I'm not going to repeat that. But Di Maria really, his, he, he loses his focus. He loses his composure and lets his temper get the best of him. And, you know, referee Bjorn Kuyper sends him off. It's a straight red card. No question about it. And Verratti gets a yellow card in the process and complaining. Also a yellow card to uh, Zinchenko, who gets into it with with uh, Verratti. And at that point, this stops becoming a football match and this starts becoming a, a circus. Verratti's running around like a, a chicken with his head cut off after this. He starts fouling everything, fouling everybody, I should say, hitting anything in sight. Uh, Pochentino makes a substitution that makes a little sense. I think he's out of ideas at this point, or he's trying to save players for the league, one or the other. On comes Danilo Pereira. He replaces Paredes. It's just another defense-minded midfielder for for another. It's it's a like-for-like switch when I think it made it obvious PSG are not going for the three goals. They they have seeded victory. Florenzi also comes out, a defender for Colin Dagba. That's more of a, of a tactical switch, but again... I don't think anyone had any belief that PSG was going to do anything, but let, but rack up some fouls, try to get some some challenges in, and let the clock run out. And the clock does run out. Uh, we see Gabriel Jesus replace Kevin De Bruyne, Raheem Sterling replace Bernardo Silva, uh, Michel Bakker would come on for Abdou Diallo, but at this point it's garbage minutes. Sergio Aguero, the all-time leading goal scorer at the club, replaces Phil Foden. Kimpembe sees a yellow card, which could have very easily been red as well. He's again the composure completely out the window. And this honestly comes from the lack of a true leader in this team. There is not enough leadership in PSG. Obviously. You want to buy superstars and you want to buy expensive players and offense-minded players, but when you don't have somebody to rein the emotions in and get everybody back on track. Games get away from you like this one. That's what happens. And the match ends. 2-0. 4-1 on aggregate. Man City through to the final in Istanbul. Will it be an all-English affair? Of course it will. Because Real Madrid decided they were not going to show up yesterday at Stamford Bridge. I mean, I thought they were atrocious. One of the worst efforts I think I've seen from Real Madrid. A lot of people are giving a lot of credit to, to Chelsea. But I've seen this Real Madrid do more. I've seen them at least put put a much better fight, a much better effort in. They didn't do that. Let's quickly look at these lineups. And this game cost me my spot in the BTV Top 10, I think, for this week in handicapping. Um, I went with them, and I think I did that mostly because of my bias. I don't like seeing continental finals with two teams from the same country, and it naturally made me gravitate to Real Madrid on this one. Um, Chelsea's starting 11 for... Uh, a name I said we'd mention again, Thomas Tuchel. How does that feel, PSG? You sacked this man, and now he's going to the final. You're watching on television. Sometimes things just work out for the best. <laughs> the goalkeeper, of course, Edward Mendy. Good, good. He made the he made a big save the one time he was called upon, and um, that's what big goalkeepers do. That's what goalkeepers at big clubs have to be able to do is to make the save when they're called on. It's sometimes only once a match they have to be able to do that. Three in the back. I love the three four one two that Chelsea plays here. Andreas Christensen, Thiago Silva, and Antonio Rudiger in the back. Uh, the wing backs were uh, Cesar 
Espilicueta and Ben Chilwell, one on each side, and then Jorginho and N'Golo Kante in the center of midfield playing behind the number 10, well, playing behind Mason Mount, who's playing in a number 10 role with two strikers in front of him, Kai Havertz and Timo Werner. And how many people said, oh, Timo Werner was a bust. Timo Werner was a bust. Waste of money, aren't they? Why did they get him? Well, Timo Werner lands Chelsea in the Champions League final. Don't lose. Don't uh, sleep on Timo Werner, okay? Every player has an adjustment period when go. Oh, not every, but a lot of players have adjustment periods when switching leagues, okay? He had played in Germany his whole career. He goes to England. The language is different. The culture is different, especially football sense. The organization at the club is different. They, even the way that the even the way that the club is managed and the team on the pitch is managed is different in England than it is in Germany. And um, of course, I think his adaptation was smoothed over with the arrival of Thomas Tuchel. But at the same time, you know, um, ever. Most players go through this, and Timo Werner is no different. I mean, but what what a striker! I mean, come on, that is that is a talent there, and for people to give up on him, you know, just uh, not at all, you know, seeing the bigger picture. So, the first half was a dud, in my opinion. Um, Chelsea in control. Chelsea, it was a 1-1 draw in, in leg number one. Chelsea have the away goal, so they have the advantage. Real Madrid need a goal. Real Madrid need a goal, and they do not get it. And let's take a look here as I look at the ticker. Werner scores in the 28th minute. I might have just misspoke and said that it goes to. It was a nil-nil first half, but that's a, I misspoke. I was looking at the wrong number. But Werner scores in the 28th minute, okay? Again, just like I just said about PSG, that shouldn't change anything for Real Madrid. Real Madrid needed a goal regardless. Real Madrid are going out. If they don't score, they're going out whether Chelsea score or not. So this should not have changed the entire approach of the match, okay? But unfortunately, I they I, I didn't see anything in Real Madrid and in their players that said they wanted to win this match. Everything about their body language and everything about their slow pace of play, slow passing, slow buildup told me they can't wait to get these ma- the rest of these matches done with and to get on the beach. It told me they can't wait to be back with their girlfriends and their wives and and they can't wait to go to the Canaries and go to Ibiza and go to wherever they go, the Greek Isles, wherever they go vacation and holiday, um, all the exotic locations these players go to, the ones that are not going to be going to Euro 2020, of course. I think other players also are thinking of Euro 2020 and now they don't want to get hurt. We're getting close, right? We're, 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 we're almost a month away from the first match on June 11th, and an injury now would be the end, at least a bad injury, could be the end of their Euro 2020. And um, I think that affected both PSG and um, and Real Madrid. There's also a Copa America this summer, so for South American players, same situation. So maybe it's not so much the vacation and the beach they're looking forward to. Maybe they're just trying to stay healthy Versus staying fit. There's a difference between healthy and staying and being fit. Healthy means you're not carrying an injury. Fit means you can play. Like you're ready. You're match ready. And I think players will sacrifice fitness right now for health. And then try to regain the fitness in the two, three week, you know, pre-camp that they'll have with their national teams. So 
pretty much every player on Chelsea's going to Euro 2020. So, I mean, the, the excuse that, you know, that you could make for Real Madrid just doesn't really hold up for me. But it was a, it was a piss poor performance, no question. And the effort was just awful. And uh, they did they did nearly equalize again because the one guy who's into this, the one guy who who wouldn't give up was Karim Benzema. He gets on the end of a cross. Uh, I believe that cross came from Nacho. I'm not 100 percent sure anymore who 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 swung that cross into him. And like I said, it was the one time Mindy was called on, and Mindy makes a great save. If if Karim Benzema hits that and it's 1-1. This match, I think, goes to extra time because I think both teams tense up. But it wasn't going to be. And then Real Madrid, as the match went on, just looked like they lost belief. They just lost, again, just so slow in the buildup, so slow in the ball movement. And it after that header that, that was saved by Mindy, it never looked like they were going to come out. It never looked like... They really believed they were going to score. But just in case, Mason Mount put it, put it out of reach in the 85th minute. And he, he would score. He would beat former Chelsea keeper, of course. I never even read the Chelsea lineup. Um, Thibaut Coutois. His Chelsea's 11 and 3 5 Thibaut Coutois was the goalkeeper. Militao, uh, Sergio Ramos, and Nacho Fernandez in the back. Vinicius Jr., Luka Modric, Casimiro, uh, Tony Kroos, uh, Ferland Mendy in midfield with Aiden Hazard and Karim Benzema. So you got Coutois and you have Aiden Hazard. Two Belgian stars, former Chelsea players playing against their former club uh, with Real Madrid. And it was not a happy homecoming for them, either of them. So time runs out. And yes, Chelsea booked their trip to Istanbul. We have an all-English final yet again. We just had one of these like two years ago. I can think back, and it's just we had an all England final in the Europa League two years ago. It's like here we are again, and yeah, the Premier League's doing great in Europe now. Um, they're in a run of form now. They have certainly overtaken the dominance from La Liga, but again, it's it's just less interesting to me. I mean, I'm obviously going to watch. I'm going to cover. I'm going to comment on it, but it's just a little bit less interesting to be honest. And I felt the same way in South America about the Copa Libertadores. Last, last, what was it, February, when uh, we had two Brazilian teams in the final. I like when two teams from different countries bringing different, different attitudes and different um, styles, different methodologies to the match, making for a real dynamic final. These are two teams that have played each other. They'll play each other this weekend. They got each other on, on the, I believe they're playing each other this weekend in the Premier League. And, uh, well... It'll be like the fourth or fifth time they play each other when they get there because I know they've played in the FA Cup as well. So uh, not sure if they ran into each other in the League Cup, but that just tells you they, they know each other inside out. If you're a manager, you don't want to see a team that knows you that well in a final when you can see a team that doesn't necessarily know you or at least a team that hasn't played against you. So that is our final. You see it scrolling along the bottom right now. City versus Chelsea, and um, that's going to be – coming up in three and a half weeks, they said on the broadcast. So I'm going to take a quick break here. In the meantime, please go to Twitter and follow the show at PTB underscore media. Also follow it on uh, Instagram and please check out the website, www.parkingthebusmedia.com. 
All right, we're going to take a quick break, and I will be back shortly um, in a few minutes. If you're listening on the podcast, um, you'll get a quick message from Parking the Bus podcast. And if you're watching on video, I'll be right back in just a moment. Okay, this is the Parking the Bus podcast. It's episode 33, and we're going around Europe. UEFA Euro 2020, this summer, here on the Park in the Bus podcast. Welcome back to episode 33 of Parking the Bus. We're going to move now to the Europa League. And if you're listening on the podcast, I'm certain you hear that music in the background. That is my favorite, my favorite competition anthem on planet Earth. It is the Europa League anthem. I love that anthem. And we're going to start our Europa League journey today in Rome at the Olimpico. And it is Manchester United traveling to face... Roma, before we get to the match, I'll talk about the elephant in the room a little bit. Manchester United, well-rested, you could say, although probably a bit traumatized from uh, the events over the past weekend at Old Trafford. Supporters protesting, first outside United's hotel, and then carrying the protest to the ground, getting into the stadium somehow, and onto the pitch, getting their match with Liverpool postponed, and actually, in turn not allowing Man City to be crowned champions just yet because had United lost that match to to Liverpool, City would be champions already. They're not. They're going to have to wait another week thanks to that. But but um, it, it, it's just a bizarre... For a player, it has to be a bizarre a turn of events. I can't imagine that the player is ready for that ever. Okay, we, we talk about these types of delays. It reminds me a little bit of the 20, what was it, 19, no, the 2018 Copa Libertadores final leg number two in Argentina when Boca Juniors' bus was attacked. And some players were physically injured, but I think the trauma was even was more debilitating. Um, of what they had seen when they saw their bus attacked and windows shatter right before their faces and see some of their teammates injured in the in the melee. So I think Manchester United might have been a little bit uh, a little bit not right uh, mentally for this match. But the good thing was they were playing in Rome far away from their protesting fans, um, which I will say I fully maybe i don't condone uh, any violent action but people that were violent were arrested and dealt with the act of fans standing up to their owners and it, reminding their owners that they don't have their approval is something i support and for the first time in maybe a decade i said earlier that i have a history of being a united supporter or more of a united supporter 
I've kind of lost that identity over the past several years. This team does not identify with me at all, or I do not identify with this Manchester United team at all. I have a hard time even getting behind them. I don't much care for the way the club is run. Um, there are players on that team I don't care for and that I think have poisoned the team. Okay, I think they have given up on manager after manager, to be honest with you. And eventually they're going to give up on Ole as well. I don't think I don't believe in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as much as a manager. I've said this before. I call them pretenders. Last week they they smacked Roma in the mouth and made me look stupid. This week, when I give my my betting advice, I told people to take Manchester United, and that's what I get for believing in them. It's it's not done yet. But a big reason I'm disgruntled when it comes to Manchester United is Malcolm, Joel, Avram. Glazer, okay? The Glazers are destroying this club. They do not understand what they have in their hands. They think that they just have another company in their portfolio, in their Fortune 500 portfolio, whatever you want to call it. Okay, they are business people, and there's nothing against business. I Actually, one of my hobbies outside of football is money and economics and business, okay? I have investments. I make investments in companies. I own shares in companies, and I do – I'm not going to do my own home, but I do reasonably well, okay? I'm pretty happy with my investments and how they perform. That's how the Glazers see Manchester United. Now, just before we get into too much stuff, why are United supporters so angry with the Glazers? It starts with the way the club was acquired. It was a hostile takeover. On the stock exchange. Okay. They took out loads and loads and loads of debt to buy the club. And then they deflected the debt onto the club. And some and the number I've heard thrown out, and don't quote me on this, and I can't cite it right now. I forget who I heard uh give this exact number, but it's upwards of 80 million pounds per year go out of the Manchester United coffers and into the debt that the Glazers acquired, the debt that they took over, took on in order to take over the club. And now the club is worth six billion pounds or something like that. or six. Maybe they were talking in dollars on television. Six billion dollars. Who's going to buy it out from under them? Nobody. Anyone that has that kind of money and wants to get into football, I mean, it... How many people on earth can do that, right? Maybe enough you can count on on one hand. So the Glazers are so happy because of what they spent and what it's worth. And they're using club assets to pay the debt. This was a club that until this takeover in 2005 had not had any debt since the 1930s. Yes, supporters have a right to be angry. It started with... It started peacefully it's just they didn't want them they tried to prevent them from taking over they many supporters have founded their own club on the side fc united of manchester making their way through the english table they're in the seventh division now i think they started in the 10th after a decade they're three levels higher than they started that should be applauded they want to be a community club they want the german model of 50 percent plus one the Glazers obviously don't want that. And the Glazers look at them the way I look 
at uh, at three letters I look up on the stock exchange a couple times a week or a couple times a month. They look at Manchester United like Manchester United, the maybe the biggest club in the world. At least it was when they got it. Just, you know, the fans have had enough. They had the green and gold scarf movement. I've got mine somewhere over here, too. I've got my green and gold scarf stowed away, stowed away somewhere. Um, maybe I'll bring it out on one of the podcasts. But honestly, they they don't get it. They think of this club as three letters on a stock exchange report. Okay. It's a publicly shared company, but they own the majority and they're not letting go. And that is very upsetting to a culture. And the Glazers are completely ignorant to the culture of British football and the culture of football in general. They they don't even leave Tampa Bay this fan. They they haven't been to Old Trafford in something like 13 years. The roof is leaking, seats are broken. The stadium, by all accounts that I've heard, is is turning into a dump. It's falling apart. And these dudes are in Florida sipping Mai Tais, getting wealthy off of that. While the team on the pitch used to be a team at the top. When they purchased United, United was competing. They had Cristiano Ronaldo. They had Carlos Tevez. Uh, Maybe he hadn't arrived yet. But they had players like that. They had... You know, a guy like Ryan Giggs and Amanya Matic, Rudvin Nistelroy. They had players and they, 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 they were either first or second in the Prem every season. They had Sir Alex Ferguson running. And you know what happened with Sir Alex and his success kind of hid the issues going on behind the scenes. And today Sir Alex isn't going to say a word. And unfortunately, Sir Alex is not going to be the vocal, the vocal, um, the vocal symbol against this ownership because they were probably good to him. They 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 are smart business people, and they know how to how to get loyalty out of executives, out of top ranking employees. They're not they don't care about the fans. Okay, so they're protected by the people in the club. Ed Woodward, who's stepping down at the end of the season because of the Super League fiasco. Has was part of J.P. Morgan, who helped finance this takeover. Okay, he's been with the Glazers since before Man United. Man United look at the, I mean, sorry, the Glazers look at Man United like they look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, except they're even more present in Tampa. But you know what? In the NFL, the fan base in Tampa. Maybe now because they got Tom Brady, but honestly, that's not a fan base. No, no, uh, no, no disrespect, but that does not compare to Manchester United, a club recognized around the world. You go to Singapore, nobody knows who the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are or who Tom Brady is. They sure as hell know who Manchester United is. They sure as hell know who Alex Ferguson is and what Alex Ferguson has done. The Glazers don't get that. They don't love this sport. They don't love the game. They don't love the the club. They don't love the fans. They love what it looks like in their portfolio. And so, and this was stated verbatim by Peter Schmeichel on CBS. 
Peter Schmeichel, former club legend, who is a club ambassador. So he was not going to criticize the Glazers. Jamie Carragher gave it to him, too, and Jamie Carragher did great. He said, this team hasn't been to the stadium in 12 This ownership group hasn't been to the stadium in 12 years. How can they say that they love the club? And he, you know, Schmeichel quickly backtracks. Says, oh, they didn't say they love the club. They love having the club in their portfolio. I love having UPS in my portfolio. That thing shot up $26 a share in the last 10 days. Do I love that company? Hell no. But I'm not pretending to. And there isn't millions of UPS fans around the world upset. And I mean, my, my shares are this small, but, you know. A lot of money came into, the, into that portfolio in the last 10 days. That doesn't mean I love the, the business or mean I love the brand. No, no, hell no. That's the same way the Glazers look at Manchester United. And again, Manchester United. Yeah, the fans have a right to be angry. You know what? If you don't listen, and I think they should do it again at some point. The only way that they're going to make a change at Manchester United is to cost the Glazers money. That game could not be televised around the world. Why was NBC so hard on, if you watched NBC Sports on Sunday, why were they so hard on United supporters and so much in on the side of, of the Glazers? They're the media partner. They didn't get to broadcast the, the match. I'm sure they lost ad revenue. I don't know if you've, a lot of people don't follow this, but if you work in TV today, you're worried about your job because people are doing this. They're unplugging. Why do you think there's so many podcasts? Because journalism professionals, TV professionals, radio professionals are being laid off because people are unplugging. People are pulling the cord. They're cutting the cord. Something I did six years ago. Maybe seven now. I don't even remember. I cut that cord so long ago. People are still doing it. Somewhere around seventy to 80,000 Americans cut the cord each month. That costs jobs at ESPN, at NBC, at CBS. Why do you think they've all got their own streaming platforms now? Why do you think matches are moving to Peacock and not to NBC over the air? That's how, you, that's how they're saving people's jobs is by charging us five bucks a month to watch football, which I'm happy to do. But exact, I would rather pay five bucks a month to, to this, five bucks to this, ten to that, than pay a $210 a month cable bill, which 90% of the lineup I've never even looked at. Well, NBC is owned by Comcast. Comcast owns Sky Sports. Sky Sports broadcasts the Premier League. They didn't get to show the match that day. Yes, everybody is going to turn on the supporters when it affects their wallet. But that is how you hit them where it counts. So, yes, some people acted out and some people uh, went too far. And they were apprehended. But to the majority of the fans, well done. Well done. For the first time in a decade, I can identify with something about the club again. I went and grabbed my my Man United hoodie out of the out of the closet and I put it on for the first time in years.
because I can identify with that. You don't even have to support the club. You can support just supporters in general. And I have to tip my hat to all of the English football supporters for the the way they have defended not just their clubs, but they have defended the game of football in England the past two weeks. In the culture I come from, supporters don't support, don't defend football. They defend their club. And typically, they only do it to try to hurt their rival clubs. You will never see three Portuguese, uh, the big three in Portugal, you'll never see their supporters unite together behind any cause. The government is in, is trying to enforce state uh, supporter ID cards so they can keep track of everybody. The government has treated everybody else great in Portugal. Football, they have spit on. There is no, they hate, the Portuguese government hates football. It is clear because football is stronger than politics in Portugal. More people care about football than they care about parliament, for example. And the politicians have a chip on their shoulder and they can't let go of that. And they don't defend the interests of football fans who happen to be their constituents. And they do nothing about it. The only times they come out and they demonstrate and they manifest any type of Unity is to put down a rival club. Clubism is what runs. And in Spain, it's the same thing. Okay, Real Madrid and Barcelona supporters are never going to come together and try to try to improve football. You didn't see this. You didn't see those protests in Madrid. You didn't see them in uh, in Barcelona last week. You saw it in England because the English fans still is the purest. And again, I tip my hat to the English football fans. Thank you for defending our game. Thank you for defending our values and especially your values. Okay, that's the rant on that. Let's get into the game. It was 3-2 to Roma today. All of that uh, aside, um, two goals from Edison Cavani, though none from, from Bruno Fernandes. So if you took my advice. Um, on BTV to take Bruno Fernandes to score again. It worked last week, not this week. Didn't deliver, and hope you didn't take my advice and take Man United to win because that didn't happen. But I did say it's a safe layup of a bet to take United to advance. United advance 8-5 on aggregate. I can't remember the last time I saw an aggregate like that. Um, Roma's goal scored by Dzeko Cristante, another ex-Befica player. Brian Cristante and an own goal from from Alex Telish in the 83rd minute. Guess what Portuguese club Alex Telish used to play for? Yeah, I guess I am glad he got an own goal given what club he played for. So um, at the end of the day, United are going to the final. They're going to Poland and um, not much else to say about it. It was... But they got to turn it around. And, you know, it was pointed out again. I'm going to mention Peter Schmeichel again because he did post game analysis today. And he pointed out that, you know, Ole goes to the bench in one or two positions. And he goes, you can see that the, the, the next, the next tier of player is not good enough. United are not deep enough. Let's go quickly. Here's who played for United. Uh, De Gea in goal. Uh, Juan Bissaka, Eric Bali, Harry Maguire, and Luke Shaw in the back. Uh, double pivot in midfield. It's Donny Vanderbeek and Fred. And in front of them, Mason Greenwood, Bruno Fernandes, and Paul Pogba. And I've stated before what I think about Paul Pogba. And a big reason I don't identify with this club was his antics in the past. And Edison Cavani was the striker. So, I mean, 
this is this isn't that far from a first eleven. I think they just either didn't want to play, they just wanted to see out the ninety minutes and move on. They don't want to get. I think a lot of it again, the fear of an injury now, on the verge of of Euro twenty twenty Copa America, probably in the back of their minds. Roma went with with uh, Mirante in goal. And this is Paulo Fonseca. We didn't get, oh, maybe when we talk Italian football, we'll get to it. Uh, Paulo Fonseca, outgoing Roma manager. I'll talk about who's coming in in the next segment, I guess. Uh, Mirante, the goalkeeper. Uh, Karsdorp, Chris Smalling, Roger Ibanez, and Bruno Perish are the four in the back. Their double pivot is Brian Cristante and Gianluca Mancini. Pedro Lorenzo Pellegrini and Henrik Mikatarian are the three attacking midfielders behind the striker. Edin Jeko. Um, Jeko with a goal in this one, also, as was Cristante. And like we said, an own goal to substitute Alex Telish. And maybe that's what Peter's talking about, someone like that. Although I've seen Alex Telish play for years. If he's fit, he he's a better player than Luke Shaw. That he's a better he can do more for you, but Maybe he's not adapting to England very well. It's very possible. Um, he's been there a little bit, but he's been there. This is his first full season. But, you know, United got to be better. United got to be better. They come in with a four-goal lead. You got to be a professional and play for pride. And, and I guess this is something that bothers me again. You are professionals. You have to take the pitch and do your job. Don't just see out a four-goal lead. It's not like it was a one-goal lead that you could just see out. Okay, you got to do something. People tune in to watch you from all over the world, especially in this age. And I think this is also part of this has to do with the empty stadiums as well because there isn't a crowd hissing at you, um, reminding you when you're being lazy and that you work. You are an employee of the supporters, regardless of what the Glazers say, you don't work for the Glazers. You work for the United supporters or you work for the Roma supporters. They ultimately will pay your salary because if people stop going to football and people stop buying jerseys and people stop watching television and stop paying subscriptions, whether it's to television or to streaming that affects the players pockets that affects the product on the field. They need to remember who they work for. So I was very disappointed in this Man United performance today. Um, hats off to to Roma for not giving up. Hats off to them for going after the result. And I think some players are trying to impress the incoming manager, special incoming manager. When we talk Italian football in a, in a little bit, we'll get to the special incoming manager. All right, we're running pretty long. So, so that is the end of the Europa. Oh, no, we have one more match. I'm sorry to talk about it was a nil-nil draw at the Emirates. It's Arsenal. What's there to talk about? Um, lackluster. Absolutely lackluster performance from Arsenal. Uh, Villarreal get the job done. Professional performance from Villarreal, in my opinion. Unai Emery eliminates his former team. Good for him. Um, I, I like Unai Emery. I like his football. And he is just a master of this Europa League. And we get a, we get a, a final that has teams from different countries so i'm happy for that um if you took my advice you you did well because i said to just stay away from from everything else and take via real to advance okay and uh 
hopefully you did that and you put you put a little change in your pocket. All right, we're going to take another break. Maybe our, we're going to take our final break before we get into some of the leagues and we talk about uh, a couple of the key stories coming up this weekend in Europe. There's two key races going on. Um, the way I see it, most of them are done. One is officially done, at least in the leagues that I talk about. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk about it. I am the Mr. Mike Agustinu. This is Parking the Bus, episode 13. If you are watching on YouTube, be sure to click the subscribe button at the bottom of your screen right there. Okay? And hit the bell so that you are alerted when we go live because uh, whenever it's video, we're going live from now on. Okay? No more uploading videos. That takes all night. Um, if you're not watching live, you'll hear this in the podcast. The podcast will be out tomorrow morning, probably, or tomorrow sometime. Um, but, uh, thank you again. Make sure you follow the podcast wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, preferably those two, but wherever you can find parking the bus and this parking the bus, not the other parking the bus. So put in parking the bus PTB media and you'll make sure you get this parking the bus and, um, yeah, I'll be right back and we'll talk about some of the leagues and, don't forget, of course, www.parkingthebusmedia.com. You're listening to the Parking the Bus podcast here on the PTB Media Network, your English language home of Copa Libertadores. And welcome back to Parking the Bus, episode 33. All right, let's go around the leagues quickly. I know we're running long tonight. And uh, we'll start in the Premier League. There's not much to talk about there. City are about to win the title. Um, they need they get three points against Chelsea. They are champions. If they get one point, they're basically champions. If United drop points, they're basically champions. Right now, 13 points ahead. Um, United can earn a maximum of 15 points. So as long if United lose, drop any points this weekend, that will be it for them. Um, City are hosting Chelsea. There's other races going on, but we'll get into it in the next episode. Uh, we're gonna just let the Premier League go this week, and uh, I'm I'm sure I'm pretty certain next week we'll talk about City being champion. We'll talk about the race for top four. We'll talk about the relegation battle. And at some point, we'll start to look forward to the EFL Championship playoffs because that's always an exciting time. And I do love talking about the playoffs. I love following them. So we will do that again as we did last year. Hard to believe it's been that long. But we've been doing this for, you know, we, we were covering the... Of course, the playoffs were like in August or in September. But... um <laughs> Or maybe they're in the end of July. Somewhere in there, we, we we covered the playoffs at the end of last season, whenever that was on the calendar. I don't remember anymore because, quite honestly, the past two seasons have morphed into one in my brain. Uh, also, Liverpool is hosting Southampton on Saturday. Uh, Leeds hosting Tottenham in the early one Saturday. If you want to get up early here on the East Coast and really early on the West Coast, 7.30 a.m. Eastern Time, 4.30 a.m. Pacific uh, you can watch Leeds and Tottenham, and I think that could be a fun match to watch. In Germany this weekend, uh, Bayern need, I think, only a point as well. I'm going to verify that right now. 
Bayern currently sit seven points ahead of Leipzig with three matches to play. So if they win this week, they'll be at least seven ahead with only six points remaining to get. So Bayern will be playing on Saturday as well, 12.30 p.m., uh, obviously on ESPN+. Leipzig and Dortmund are on at 9.30 a.m. on Saturday. That is a cracker. Um, under normal circumstances, I would be watching that. And the only reason I will I will watch the first half of that, but then at 10.15, I am switching to the big one this weekend. I am switching to La Liga, and that's where we're going to dive in a little bit. I'm switching to, to Barcelona, hosting Atletico Madrid. The title may be on the line here. The table right now, Atleti is top with four matches to play. 76 points. They are two points ahead of Real Madrid and of Barcelona. If they win, they can go five points clear of Barcelona. And Real right now are in a state where we'll see what they do. Um, they could always turn it back on. I thought they were going to turn it on on yesterday. They didn't. So I'm going to have a hard time putting any confidence and any money on Real Madrid going forward. But um, listen. If you listen to this podcast, if you follow it, if you watch the videos, you saw me wearing a Atleti jersey during the Copa America episode last week, uh, last Sunday. Um, so you know who I want to win. But you've also heard me talk about how I am waiting for this to slip away from Atleti. They managed, Barcelona managed to not take it from them when they had the chance when Barcelona lost at home to was it Elche? I know they had the chance to win. No, Elche uh was who was who uh Atleti just beat. They were beaten at home by Granada, okay? When Granada went into the Camp Nou and won and allowed Atleti to remain in first place. Listen, Simeone, if you do not win the if Simeone does not win the title this year, he has to go. I've been a fan of him in the past, and you know I like, I have nothing against defensive football, but the players and the personnel he has does not fit the game he's trying to play. I've criticized it in the past. Anyone who listens has heard me. When you're lining up with a line of six in the back and Joel Felix is all the way at left back because that's the way you want to play the game. I mean, you're not getting it. You're not getting the best out of your players. I understand they had injuries at the time. And no, he was not a left back, but in a defensive position. As the opposing team was building play out of the back, he had uh, Simeone had retreated his team so far that that's where Joel Felix was. That's the space he was covering. Now, let's take a look here and see what we got for injuries in this one. So Barca will be... We'll see about Ansu Fati. He's got a meniscus injury. It does not have a return here, nor does Philippe Coutinho. And Martin Braithwaite has, uh, is expected back from an ankle injury mid-May. Renan Lodi is injured for, for Atleti. Um, we don't have a probable lineup yet. But head-to-head, -head, it is heavily in in um Barcelona's favor the previous previous matches and there's a lot of them here Fotmob gives us 18 wins 10 draws and 18 wins for Barcelona 10 draws 4 wins for Atleti 
in the last, what's that? That's 18, 28, 32 matches. Four in the last 32. I have a hard time putting my faith in the team I want to see win La Liga. I have a hard time because they just have not performed to a level where I'm going to be confident in them taking on Barca. I don't care how Barca plays. They can turn it on whenever they want also. Ronald Koeman is coaching for his job. I think Diego Simeone is comfortable. That I is a problem. I don't like comfort in football. Comfort leads to complacency, which leads to bad results. I think that key guys in this, so according to this, you know, in the injury report, there's no mention of, of uh, uh, Suarez. There's no mention of Joan Felix. Looks like he's back at full strength. Uh, Angel Correa, he looks like he's at full strength. Uh, Yanni Carrasco is a player I'm big on. I love Yanni Carrasco. Um, it's just, I, I, he, lately, Marcos Llorente has been, has been good. I'm really crossing my fingers that we get an, an anomaly and we get an Atleti that plays to its potential in this one. They play nervous. They play timid. They look like they, like I am waiting. They look like they are waiting for this to collapse on them. It's up to Simeone to get the team psychologically right. And um, to me, he's come off very stubborn in the this season. But that is key matchup Saturday at uh, 10.15. Also on Saturday in La Liga, you've got the Porto Alaves taking on Levante. Cadiz is taking on Huesca. Uh, and Athletic Bilbao taking on Osasuna. All right, in Italy, Inter are the champions already. They clinched last week, ending a nine-year run of dominance from Juventus. And that is always going to be very, very unacceptable when you have a Cristiano Ronaldo in your lineup. But Juventus have been complacent in their player signings ever since CR7 arrived at the Allianz Arena. They have not really made a... They've made a couple good signings, but they haven't made enough good signings ever since. They've too many of the of the Aaron Ramseys and the the Rabios, too many uh you know players of that nature, just not enough impact players. I think Weston McKinney was a great signing for them on the on the flip side of that, and um, you know Paulo Dybala has disappointed. Uh, they have to figure out if they can afford Chiesa. They have a lot to, to figure out, and I don't believe that Andrea Pirlo is the guy to lead them. I think his lack of experience cost Juve their 10th title this year. I think they had evolved, both him and Simeone alike, even though they have light years difference in experience. There's a stubbornness to play this old school 4-4-2, four across the middle, two wide midfielders, and, you know, both Atleti overlooking for Luis Suarez, in my opinion, although he's had a great season. There's matches where it's hurt them because they're just not, they're not going elsewhere when they need to. But at Juve, it's all on the shoulders of Ronaldo. They are just, the team is is struggling to support him. There was a little run there where he was getting help from Chiesa. He was getting help from Morata. 
And the club doesn't know. Morata's on loan. Are they going to sign him? Do they have the money to sign him? I don't know if they can continue to, to pay Ronaldo's wages. If they miss Champions League football, I think Ronaldo's out of there. I think it's even if he wanted to stay, there'd be no way unless he took a huge cut in pay. So right now, Inter lead. Well, Inter are the champions elect already. Uh, we're 34 rounds in Serie A, 82 points to Inter. Atalanta now sits second on 69 points, but so do Juve and Milan, all on 69 points right now. A lot of the pundits are picking Milan to continue to free fall and free fall right out of the top four. Um, Napoli right behind them in fifth. They got 67, and then Lazio with 64 in sixth. And right now Roma sitting in a Europa League spot. Sorry, Europa Conference League spot in seventh. On 55 points, two better than Sassuolo. And that brings me to the story of Roma. They have a manager. They have sat. They, it, I maybe you won't say they sacked Paulo Fonseca, but they have announced Paulo Fonseca will not be returning next year. And they promptly announced Jose Mourinho. This special one is coming to the Stadio Olimpico in 2021, 2022. And personally, I can't wait. You know who else can't wait? CBS Sports and Paramount Plus because they have the rights to Serie A next season, and now they, if you know, if Juve finds a way to keep Ronaldo, you can have Ronaldo, you can have uh, Mourinho, you who knows who's going to come coach Juventus, Juventus, excuse me. Uh, you have Ibra, you have uh, Lukaku, you. It's just you have quite the league to present next year, and. Um, I've enjoyed this league the last couple seasons, and I enjoyed this season. The football, the level of football has has, has definitely risen. You got a team in Atalanta here that just continues to refuse to lose. Um, they want to be in with the big boys, even though they're a little guy. They punch way above their weight. An up and coming Sassuolo that play beautiful football, uh, you know, and then of course Roma, Napoli, and and Lazio, Milan, trying, trying desperately to get back up there. Um, I think this league is captivating. I can't wait for next season already. Um, I'm, I'm, I wanted personally to see Juve do the DECA. I wanted to see them win for a decade straight to win 10 in a row. It didn't happen, but you start a new streak perhaps, or maybe Inter goes on their own streak. The, the stories just write themselves in Serie A. I can't wait till next season. Um, this weekend's fixtures on Saturday, Spezia hosts Napoli, Udinese hosts Bologna. Uh, Inter hosts Sampdoria, Fiorentina hosts Lazio, and then Sunday, Genoa hosting Sassuolo, Benevento hosting Cagliari, uh, Verona hosts Torino, and Torino is in a relegation battle, the historic club Torino in a relegation battle. Pretty much already relegated Parma uh, will be hosting Atalanta, Roma hosts Crotone, maybe trying to get some momentum off the back of this victory over uh, Manchester United today, despite going out. And then a big one, Sunday afternoon, 2.45 p.m. Eastern time, of course, 11.45 a.m. Pacific. It's Juve and Milan. And let's quickly take a look at this, because do we have do we have CR7 versus, versus Ibra? Neither one of them are listed as injured right now, so... Uh, we could very well see that matchup, which will be beautiful television, obviously. That is captivating. That is exciting. That is going to draw eyeballs. 
Uh, Di Meral is out injured for Juve. Menzukic and Castillejo are injured for... Sorry, Castillejo is suspended. Uh, Men, Menzukic has, the vi- has a virus. I'm, I'm assuming it's COVID, the way it's worded. Um, and he will be out as well. So 2.45 on Sunday. Now, the last thing we're going to talk about, the last league we're going to talk about this week, okay? is the French League, and that is the race I want to talk about. So I'm pulling that up right now as we will have French Ligue 1. And right now, here is the table. We are through 35 matches. We got three to go. in the. No, sorry, we have five matches to go. I thought we were closer to the end. We got five to go in Ligue 1, and Lille are squeezing and, and, and wrestling a one-point lead over PSG right now. And it would be a shame for Lille to slip this late in the in the competition. They've just, again, punched above their weight. It would be a great story. It would be great for the French League. Not so great for Parisians. Not so great for the Qataris that own them. And maybe not so great for BN Sports and the global brand that is PSG. But um, exciting, exciting uh, opportunity. I'm, I'm pulling for Lille here. Uh, they pulled off a big win two weeks ago against Leon, and uh, they got 76 points. PSG is 75. Monaco with an outside shot still uh, five back with 71 points. Leon in fourth with with 70, and then there's a huge gap as Lens right now hold the fifth and uh, final European spot with 56 points, and um, they have the same number of points, but more goals scored. Same diff- goal difference, but more goals scored than Marseille. And let's look at the fixtures this weekend. It starts on Friday. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, if you're listening to the podcast, you may have already missed it. But uh, 3 p.m. Friday, Lens host Lille. That's the big one. That's where my uh, that's where my personal laptop will be tuned to while I'm working from home on on Friday. And then Saturday, 7 a.m. early, you got Nantes versus Bordeaux and Lyon versus Lorient. And then Sunday, Saint-Étienne hosts Marseille, Angers hosts Dijon, Metz hosts Nîmes, Nice hosts Brest, Strasbourg hosts Montpellier, uh, uh, Reims hosts Monaco, and Rennes, I'm not so sure of the pronunciation, they host PSG. So it's an action-packed weekend in France. And next week, we will break it down. There is no Champions League next week, so we will be able to spend more time on the leagues. Perhaps I'll put out one or two episodes. Um, Maybe we'll break up the leagues into two episodes so we can spend more time on it. But, my friends, that is going to do it. One other announcement to make, okay? And it pains me to do this, but congratulations go out to Sporting Club de Portugal, Sporting Lisbon. They, this past week, won the UEFA Futsal Champions League, beating Barcelona in an incredibly exciting 4-3 to decision uh, back on Tuesday, I think it was. Maybe it was Wednesday um, in Croatia. They had an Elite Eight format, okay? Eight teams came in, one left with the trophy. It was Sporting Lisbon, second time in three years, and this time they did it beating the defending champions, FC Barcelona. So I have to extend congratulations to them. Um, also, Women's Champions League, the final is set. It's going to be, you ready for this? Two new teams 
For the first time in over a decade, there is no French team in the final of the women, UEFA Women's Champions League. It is Chelsea versus Barcelona. It will be exciting, and I will cover the match. And when we get there, you will get my opinions on it. All right. Again, follow on Twitter at PTB underscore media, on Instagram at the same PTB underscore media, and hit up www.parkinthebus.com. Make sure you subscribe. And if you want to email any questions, concerns, comments, any of the above, good, bad, whatever, feel free to email me at ptbmedianetwork at gmail.com. All right, everybody. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the matches. I'll be back on Saturday, probably. I think you'll get me on Saturday. If you're watching live on YouTube, um, I'm planning to go live and record this tomorrow night, Friday night, uh, 7.30 p.m. If you're listening to the podcast and that time hasn't passed yet, go to the parking the bu- uh, sorry, go to the PTB Media YouTube page and follow, like I said, and subscribe so that you get the alert when I go live. I'm looking to go live at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, maybe 7.35 p.m. It will be a Copa Libertadores, Copa Sudamericana, South American edition. We have a whole nother round of matches to talk about. And then this weekend, um, we will we will go to the the CONCACAF Champions League as well. I'll have another. So there's two episodes coming out in the next four, 48 to 72 hours. All right, we got Copa Libertadores to talk about Copa Sudamericana. That'll be a South American edition. And then we will talk CONCACAF, uh, Champions League, MLS. And it's time for the Ligija in Liga Emekis. So we have all that ready for you. That'll probably be Sunday night. That'll probably be a live broadcast Sunday night or Monday morning, depending on uh, how the matches go in Liga Mekis this weekend. All right. So stay tuned to the PTB Media Network. This has been the Mr. Mike Agustinio, and it has been Parking the Bus, Episode 33. Thank you for joining me, and I'll see you next time.